All right. Well, hey, listen, it's a special day. Am I on? Is the mic on? Maybe. Okay. Um, special day this morning. Uh, the obvious thing being Mother's Day, which is uh, is exciting. We're glad to, to um, honor our mothers this morning. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But we are going to continue our series called Hey God. And in that, talk about the role of the mother in our lives. But uh, it's also a special day here. I don't know if you know it or not, but... Um, uh, we now officially own this facility. So that's pretty cool. We closed on it Friday and uh, the elders and I signed for it. And now um, just delighted to know that this is our home for, for a long time. And, and excited to see what God is going to do. He's already doing cool things here. He's going to do a whole bunch more. So um, this morning as we talk about the question that you've asked, we asked our congregation and put it out in social media and said, hey, if you had one question to ask God, what would it be? And we got a back, back a bunch of responses and we picked one this morning that uh, we can't wait to share with you. And so uh, we were thinking about the, this, the, the nature of questions and we're trying to answer these questions and mom should get a reward for answering questions. Don't you think? Nobody answers more questions than a mom. Am I right? Why, 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 when, when, how, can I, please, now, how about now? Moms also answer a bunch of dumb questions. If the, Whoever said there's no such thing as a dumb question wasn't a mom. Okay, I can tell you that. And they just weren't paying attention, okay? Uh, I, I asked my mom that question. What are some dumb questions I asked? And she said, you used to ask, do I really have to go to school? She's like, yeah, duh, you're going to school. But I also looked up uh, on Yahoo Answers. Anybody ever used Yahoo Answers? It's kind of like a Google search thing. Yahoo Answers, where you can post questions and get answers from Yahoo. I don't know that I would do that. But uh, people ask questions to Yahoo Answers, and they ask questions like this. These are actual questions that were posted to their site. Is it safe to look at a picture of the sun? No kidding. Are there birds in Canada? Great question. Uh, I love this one. Not to be crass, but I swallowed an ice cube and it hasn't come out yet. Is it stuck? <laughs> Think about that one. It'll hit you later. And I got one other one. Do I have the picture for this one right here? I love this one. Okay, so this is a bit of a random question. I'm glad they're clarifying that. But the question has been bugging me for a long time. So, okay, on a microwave, if you push 60, then it'll cook 60 seconds or one minute. Following me? Yeah, we got you. And if you also press 100, it will cook for one minute or 60 seconds. Right? Right. Okay, well, my question is, if you add one minute plus one minute, it's two minutes, right? So your food will cook for a total of two minutes. But if you add 60 seconds to 60 seconds, it will only cook for one minute and 20 seconds. I love the question. Of the end. I guess to put it in simplest terms, how come one minute plus one minute equals two minutes, but 60 seconds plus 60 seconds, only one minute and 20 seconds? I have no answer for that. I would love to have seen what Yahoo answered to that one. This this week's question is not a dumb question. In fact, this week's question goes right to the heart. And the question is, why do I have no friends? And that's that's a question that's trying to make sense of our loneliness and the emptiness that can come from, from feeling alone that may result from a move or a separation or a divorce or an empty nest 
or just feeling like maybe you never really fit in. And we can all uh, we can all identify with that question because to some degree or another, we have all been in that place where we feel alone. Is that right? I know I have. In fact, I know mine isn't the saddest story, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Uh, my loneliest moment came in fifth grade. We had just moved to Charlotte. We had uh, new to the area. I was new to a school. My school, this was back in the 80s. I'm dating myself, but this was back in the 80s. And uh, there was uh, segregation had gone on for too long. So they were desegregating the school system. So I was bused almost an hour to a predominantly African-American school. And, and uh, that's where I went to school. So I would ride these long bus rides and be around kids I'd never met and really a culture that was unfamiliar with. I mean, this is way before my beatboxing skill days, okay? I didn't have that to fall back on. I couldn't have... And just made some friends like that. I, I couldn't do that. So I didn't have that skill at that time. But... Uh, so this... And what I'm saying is this white boy stuck out, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. And to make matters worse, I was a little on the chubby side. In fact, they put me in what my mom affectionately called the fat class. And instead of going to P.E. or to recess, we would all sit around and talk about healthy choices and eating better. And so the short of it was I had very, very few friends. Now, I'm going to come back to that story later. Because we all identify with that feeling of being alone I'm going to ask it, and in fact, the person that wrote this question asked it more than one way. They said this, why do I have no friends? And then they said this, God, why do you not let me have friends? And in asking it that way, it's it's the idea of looking up, arms out, God, why? Why am I in this lonely place? And in effect, blaming God for the loneliness. And so I want to start by saying, how does God respond to you and I feeling alone? What is he feeling? What is his reaction? What is his response to our loneliness? So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. Or the, the words will be on the screen over here. It says this. God had made Adam, put him in a beautiful garden to take care of it. But then he said this. The Lord God said, it is not Good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so God in his infinite wisdom created Adam and created Eve and created all of us with a desire to be known and to know. He created us with a desire for relationship. And he not only uh, created us that way, he put Adam in the garden by himself and let Adam discover that same truth. I'm not good by myself. I need somebody else but God didn't just stop there he didn't just empathize with Adam when he said it's not good he also did something about it and he said I will make I will do something about it I will make him a helpmate and so he created Eve so that Adam and Eve could have friendship and even more than friendship together and God knew that Adam was lonely and he knew that you and I would get lonely And so when he created um, the family, he did it intentionally so that you and I could have our relational needs met. In fact, look at what it says a little further down in that chapter in Genesis 2. It says, that is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, before I jump into the meaning of the passage, can I just say this to you moms? 
That is, if you do your job well, if you if you mother well, then there's going to come a day when your little girl or your little boy grows up and this passage comes through where they'll leave your house and go start their life in a new life on their own. And that's that's a bittersweet day, isn't it? I mean, it's sweet in knowing that, man, all your labor and all your efforts to grow, not just a child, but a, a responsible adult, has come to fruition, and now you can set them free, and they're off to do their own thing, and there's joy in watching them blossom and develop. But it's also, it's also sad, isn't it? That little one that you held, the little one that you nursed, the little one that you took care of, day and night is now no longer near all the time. And so, moms, can I just say again, thank you. Thank you for raising your kids in such a way that they can go and be and do all that God created them to do. So thanks, mom. But also, I want you to see God's intention in creating the family. So when he started with Adam and Eve and when he started with your family, his intention was to provide for your relationship needs. And God could say it this way, I don't want you to be alone. I want you to have your relationship tank filled. I want you to, I don't want you to experience loneliness. I want you to experience oneness. In fact, that's what the passage we just read said. He said, I'm gonna, you're gonna leave father, mother, and then you're gonna experience this one flesh thing, this oneness idea that, that is beyond just mere casual relationship. It is being known completely and being, and completely knowing somebody else. And so that is God's intention for the family, to meet our our most basic relationship needs at the core. So God gave us family. Isn't that good? I mean, God gave us family. But he also gave us church family. Look at this. Not only did God institute the family to meet our relationship needs, but he also gave us the church. See, when he launched the church a couple thousand years ago, He did it so that the good news of Jesus Christ, the life-changing message that salvation and forgiveness is found in His Son, Jesus Christ, can be moved through people to people, church to church, life to life, through all generations. But He also started the church so that your and my relational needs can be met. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's why the church is here? I absolutely do. In fact, 23 times in the Gospels, 23 times, there's a record of Jesus saying the simple words, follow me, follow me. I want relationship with you. I want you to hang out with me. I want us to be intimate with one another. I want relationships to form. I want you to join my circle. I want us to have relationship that meets your very basic needs. And he invited people in a relationship with him and with others. But when Jesus left this earth, that, that same idea continued in the very first church. You see these, these words in Acts chapter 2. It said, all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. There's a word that's repeated three times in that short uh, few verses. And it's, it's the word together. The church is here. You and I have come here today so that we could be together. I mean, we can worship on the couch. We could worship at home, but we choose to come and do this together because there's something about being together that we can connect with one another. We take that really serious here at Crossroads. In fact, one of our core values of our church is relationships. We want everyone here to experience a significant relationship. 
We want everyone here connected with each other. We don't want anyone here to feel lonely. And so we do things like next steps. If you come and you're a part of our church just one time or two times, you can start to get connected. Almost every month we do an event called the Newcomers Cookout because we want you to meet other people in our church. We say circles are better than rows because this is good. But when you get in a circle, you can start having conversation with one another. And you can start to know and be known. In fact, we're really big on small groups here at our church. We, we so believe in the value of relationship that the church is here to meet those relational needs that we actually require you to be in a small group to be a member of our church. Now, why would we do that? Because we know what the scriptures are teaching us is true. It is not good for us to be alone. We were created for a relationship. You have something valuable to give to me, and I have something valuable to give to you. It's a big deal to us guys at Crossroads because it's a really big deal to God. We don't want anyone to feel lonely. In fact, you don't have to feel lonely. It's not because of farmers only. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. But it's because God has instituted the family in the church to meet those relational needs. And when we say, God, why do you let me not let me have friends? Here's what I want to say. That is a very true emotion, but it's actually the wrong question because God created the family and the church to meet your relational needs. You can write it down, mark it down, count on it. God created these things so you and I would never, ever feel alone again. The church is supposed to be our family. Now, the question was asked that way. It was also asked another way. Here's maybe you identify with this question. They said, why do people not like me? Why do people not like me? And so instead of looking up and saying, God, why do you not allow me to have friends? It's the idea of looking out and looking around at other people and saying, why do these people, why are they not my friends? Why are not they, they not being good friends to me? That's legitimate. In fact, I think at this point, it's helpful to be realistic about other people. In fact, I want you to look at this passage in Philippians 2 with me. It says this, For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. Did you hear what the passage said? Everyone looks out for what? Their own interests and not those of others and certainly not those of Christ Jesus. What that's saying is, is our natural bent is to be fallen. Our natural bent is to be selfish and our natural bent is to be thinking about ourselves. And so when we ask the question, why do people not like me? I think sometimes we put too high of an expectation on other people. What you have to realize and I have to realize is they're as broken as we are. And when we're looking for them to meet our relational needs, we've got to know that they're wrapped up in their own issues. They're wrapped up in their own problems. They're wrapped up in their own questions. And so sometimes relationships suffer simply from the neglect of life running us ragged. Am I right? Sometimes the the, the question, why are we not friends, is a question of just not clicking with other people. But sometimes, sometimes people, I don't know if you've experienced this, I have, sometimes people just act like they're better than you. And you're not good enough for them. And the question I came to when I, when I was thinking about this is, if you're not good enough for someone else, let me ask you this. Is that their problem or your problem? That's not your problem. That's their problem. 
Can I honestly tell you what I know to be true? If you've experienced that or you are experiencing that in your life, there are other people, there's plenty of other people who will appreciate and accept and love just who you are. And you can find them. Now, maybe the most powerful way that this question was asked, they said, why do I not have friends? God, why don't you not let me have friends? What's wrong with all these other people? Then they asked this. So what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And so instead of looking out and blaming God or looking out and blaming others or or questioning others, the question goes introspective and starts looking in and says, why? What is it about me that keeps me from having friends? What part am I playing at feeling alone? And can I ask you that? I can tell you that can actually be a good question to ask if, If all that question is intended to do is help you to adjust the way you approach people in a more meaningful way. And what I mean is this. We can all grow to be better friends, can't we? We can all learn how to be a better friend to other people. And if we ask the question, hey, what's wrong with me? And we just ask it like, what what can I do? What can I change? What can I tweak? Then I think it's a good question. The Bible is slap full. Have you ever, have you ever noticed this? The Bible is slap full of relationship advice. I'm going to just give you a few. Look at this. In Proverbs 15, 1, it says this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let me ask you this. Who would you rather be a friend with? Somebody that stays calm and cool under pressure or somebody that speaks kindly to you or someone that speaks harshly to you? Man, that's a no-brainer. I mean, the Bible says, look, the first place you could start with being a better friend is look at the words that are coming out your mouth. Are you speaking harshly or kindly? It says this in uh, James 1. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, who wouldn't want a friend that, that, that is that, that is a good listener? You know, somebody said one time, we've given one mouth in two years. Use them appropriately. And so who wouldn't love to have a friend that when you've got something to share, or if you've got something to say, you drop everything and your focus is on that friend and you're listening to that friend. Man, every one of us can grow in this area. I know that's true. Maybe Jesus gave us the best relationship advice when he said this. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And the servant of all. Man, that's, I don't care who you are, what your relationships look like. That is great advice for every single one of us here. That we would learn to not look to be served, but to serve. Not look to get something, but to, to give something in a relationship. And the Bible, over and over again, I challenge you as you start reading it, start looking for God's wisdom in relationships in, in the scriptures as you read them. And if you run out of those, you can always go ask mama. Mama's got plenty of relationship advice, am I right? Mama's got all kinds of advice for us. In fact, I'll tell you this. The best advice I ever got about relationships came from my mom. And she said it over and over and over again. We moved five times in my childhood. Out of state. We never, like, moved next door. Out of state. We moved a long ways away. And we always had a challenge of making new friends. And she always would tell us just one simple thing. In order to have a friend, you have to... Be a friend. Did your mom ever say that? Okay, that was my mom. I was wondering if she was 
quoting somebody else or not. She said, in order to have friends, you got to be a friend. Well, what did she mean by that? She meant what we just read. That if you want to be last or be first, be last, be the servant of all. Don't go into a relationship looking for what you can get, but what you can give. And in order to do that, guys, here's the thing. All the relationship advice in the world means nothing if we don't have the power to enact it. And here's what I want to say. We, you and I, if we're going to be good friends, if you and I are going to make friends, if you and I are going to get past the loneliness that might be plaguing our life because we don't feel like we have the friendships that we want, then we need the power of God in our life in order to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. We need the grace of God to encounter us in order for us to be the friends that God intended us to be. Now, we ask that question, what's wrong with me? And if it's all, if we take that and use it constructively in order to adjust the way we approach people, it's good, I think. But it's not a good question if we're using it to attack ourselves. And this is what I mean. The, the heart-wrenching version of this, of this question goes like this. It carries with it assumptions like, I'm deficient. I'm not as worthy as others. I'm broken. There's something wrong with me fundamentally. Maybe even I'm a mistake. Can I want you to hear me very loud and very clear of those thoughts of every run through your head. None of those things are true. Not a one. You don't have to regret your personality. You don't have to wish you were somebody else. That is not only harmful, it is destructive. Those are lies that the enemy tries to sow into your mind, into my mind, especially in our lonely moments, in order to defeat us. God says, those aren't true. Those aren't true at all. In fact, the truth is, the truth is, you and I never have to feel alone. You and I never have to feel alone. In fact, remember the story in fifth grade? I'm riding in the bus and I'm feeling terribly alone and feeling a little bit sorry for myself. Well, it just so happened on the route to the school and back home, I would pass by the office building that my dad worked in. And one day I remember looking up and I saw a sign. It wasn't in the sky like from God. It was in the window of my dad's office. And it just said, hi, Rod. That's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. And I knew one thing right there. I knew I wasn't alone. I knew that I had a father who loved me. And I had a father who was reaching out to make sure I knew I was not alone. Guys, can I tell you, that is just a small window, a small picture of the story of God, the love of God, the love that the heavenly father has for each one of you. See, he made you and he loves you. He made you right like he wanted you. In fact, he's thinking about you. You are the apple of his eye and you are his favorite. There is nobody on this earth that he loves more than you. How how does that feel? In fact, he not only reaches out to us with a sign in the window, he reached out, out to us not with a sign but with his son. And when Jesus Christ came, it was God reaching out to to us to let us know that he loves us, he accepts us, and he wants a relationship with us. 
You and I can feel alone because we may feel separated or alienated from God. Guilt can do that. Shame can do that. And certainly our sin does that. But the beautiful news about the story of God is that Jesus Christ came to remove that guilt, to remove that shame, and to remove that sin so that we can have a relationship with our God. Not only a relationship, a friendship with Him. And that's why Jesus Christ came and He went to a cross. And the sin that was separating us from God, He removed that sin and now Jesus Christ comes and to have relationship with us. That's the good news. Now, we might feel alienated from God if we've never admitted that we've wronged God, if we've never admitted that we're at odds with Him, and we've never asked Jesus Christ to be the one that comes down and reunites us to God. If we've never asked Jesus to do that, then yes, we could feel alienated with Him. But once we say yes to Jesus Christ, once that we say we need a relationship with God and we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins and that when he rose from the dead, he came to give us life, not just the world life, but you life. Then we'll never feel alone again. In fact, I want to show you something. I want you to see the price that God paid that he could have a relationship with you. This is the words that Jesus spoke when he was hanging on the cross. And he was paying for the sins of the world, your sin and my sin. And this is what he says. He says, it's a, the scripture says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. There was an eclipse. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabathani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason Jesus cried out in that moment those words is the worst part about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ wasn't that he physically was uh, tormented in that moment. It wasn't that he was rocked, uh, ridiculed and mocked by other people around him. The worst part about the death of Jesus Christ, the tragedy of it all, is that God the Father and God the Son, who had been in perfect unity for all of eternity, perfect relationship, perfect friendship, God severed that and turned his back on his son, Jesus Christ. So that a relationship with you and I, with you and I could be established. And God judged Jesus instead of judging us. And the sin that should have been upon us was laid upon him. And God judged Jesus on our behalf in that moment. That is the, that is the most amazing thing about the sacrifice of Christ. And the, what that means to you and me is simply this. Jesus was forsaken so that you never will be. Jesus was forsaken in that moment and he cried out, God, where are you? God, why do I feel so alone? The reason he screamed that out and the the price that he paid was simply so that you and I would never ever have to feel alone again. And he says, when you receive my son, Jesus Christ, and put your faith in his death and the resurrection that he, he had, My promise to you is that I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I will always be with you. Lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age is God's promise. I mean, we can be surrounded by friends and family. We can go to church. We can go to small group. And the fact of the matter is we can still feel alone. Because if that core relationship with God isn't there, Or if that core relationship with God is suffering, we can still feel terribly alone. 
People can and will let us down, but he never will. And so this morning, I want to just offer an opportunity to have a relationship with God, to have a friendship with him that, that, that is satisfying in the most intimate way. God wants that with you. He's been longing for that. And he's been waiting for you to say yes to his invitation. His invitation to you this morning is, may I come in? Let me have a relationship with you. I want to be your friend. When no one else in the world may be, I will be. But you have to place your faith in me and trust Jesus Christ. And then I'll come rushing in and never leave you. Maybe this morning you feel lonely. And it's time for you to start being a friend. In order to have friends, you feel compelled to start being a friend. And maybe there's some things you need to say to some people to get right with some friends you used to have. Or maybe you need to take some steps of getting in a small group or finding a place where you belong in the church. Guys, I pray this morning that you don't miss the opportunity and the invitation God gives you. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God in heaven, we worship you. We thank you that you want a relationship with us. Better than a father's sign in a window, there's a sign from heaven that Christ came down. And it's so very clear and vivid, this picture that you're screaming. You're saying, hi, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want you to know that you'll never have to be alone again. And so in order to do that, in order to start this relationship, you've got to, we've got to deal with the sin that is keeping you from me. And that's why I sent my son, Jesus. And so this morning, if you want to tell God this morning that I, that you're ready for a relationship with him, simply tell him, God, I believe. I believe you love me and you want a relationship with me. And God, I admit that I've, I've done things that I've wronged you. I've rebelled against you. I've, I've turned my back to you. But God, this morning, I want to turn to you. I want to know what it's like to be loved by you. I want to know what it's like to enjoy a relationship with you. And so I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm putting my faith in the one who died for me and rose from the dead. And God, for all of us, I pray that they find in this church a place where their relationship need gets met. That every single one of us know what it's like to be known and to know others in an intimate way. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.